the conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us today for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I am doing awesome, Sherry. Now, I have to warn you, I've had like four cups of coffee. (laughs) Including something called nitro that they just introduced at Starbucks. So I had a sample. So if I'm a little over the top today, please forgive me. (laughs) So Dee was talking about the possibility we may have a little buzz in the background, but that buzz might be Dee. (laughs) It's me. Uh, well, I'm only on number four for me. That's like, you know, about midway through the day. Oh my God. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't drink quite that Your much coffee. stomach. <laughs> no, it doesn't bother me at all. No? No, uh, no. I mean, I guess if I, if I drink, I'm drinking double espresso today. <laughs> this is my second double espresso. So I think that's like four cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. So I, it really is, it really is like my fourth cup of coffee, but I still feel pretty, pretty normal. I don't feel like jittery and I don't feel like out of my out of my element I feel kind of like I normally feel so well you're always kind of high energy anyway I am so yeah yeah I don't know what that is it's something that I think I got it from my mom like I'm a real believer that we get a lot from our parents you know and our personalities mm-hmm. and my mom is like go 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 is she oh yeah yeah <laughs> and so I am like go 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 and my husband has this joke that I have two speeds um fast and stop <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I agree. That is true. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like wired and asleep. That's it. Those <laughs> are the only two things. No, there's nothing. I, but I am actually trying really hard to find something in between because I do think that we need to be able to take time to breathe. You know, like Jill Johns told us on our show about self care. She was all about like take a breath. You don't feel that like when you're gardening or feeding the chickens yeah. or. Yeah, I, I think that's why I do those things because they're active things like I'm moving and doing. I don't I don't meditate well. And I know that like when we did our show with Caroline, Caroline mm-hmm. said nobody meditates well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so which I love because it's like, OK, that gives me a little bit of latitude and freedom. But I think um, I have a hard time just being still. And I always have had a hard time. But I do that in the morning. I mean, I, u- I usually do most days of the week. And before I have my coffee or right when I'm having my first cup of coffee in the morning when I get up, I sit on the sofa and um, sometimes my son wakes up when I'm there and sometimes not. But if he wakes up, he knows if I'm on the sofa with my coffee and my book, then he comes and he sits next to me. And then it's like a quiet five minutes. Oh, that's ten cool minutes. That he'll do that. Oh, he'll come and he'll lay his head in my lap. While I read, because he knows, like, now he knows that that's time when I'm not going to do anything else. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have breakfast until I'm finished. Mm -hmm. We're not going to, I'm not going to read to him his story until I'm finished with my book. Mm -hmm. And then, and I have, like, you know, a daily reader I'm reading. I've been reading Savor, which is by um, uh, Shauna Nyquist, I think is her name. Why does her name sound so familiar? She's a writer. She's written a bunch of different things. And, um, but the book is really good because it's, it's just like short one page, like read about all kinds of different subjects. Mm-hmm. And then she has some questions at the end to help you think about how to incorporate this concept into your day. Savor. Savor. So like savor the day. Yeah. Or what is it? I can't remember the subtitle. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's something like, um, for those of you who might be interested in it, it's something that's like uh, living in, I don't know, living in the abundance of your life where you are or something. I don't remember exactly, but it's something like that is the idea. Mm. And um, yeah, so so that's my quiet time. That's when I actually am slow, but my husband's still sleeping, so he doesn't ever see me like that. I don't know if that's <laughs> like, it's more of a transition out of sleep. Yeah. You know, so you're just kind of I'm warming up. up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're out of there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then like, you know, 0.7 seconds later, I'm like full blast. <laughs> it's good though. It works for us. It works for us. And I think my, I think my son's going to be the same way. Cause he's like, you know, like most five-year-old boys, uh, he's like yeah. <laughs> zero to 80 in like 0.7 seconds too. So he's good to go. 
Well, I am so excited about today's show. Um, I think that our audience is going to love it. Girlfriends, you are going to super dig this topic and you're going to love our guest. Um, the subject today is about nutrition for women of a certain age, as Dee likes to say. My favorite phrase in the world. <laughs> now, I, I don't love that phrase, but I do know that I am a woman of a certain age. I am a woman who is entering a certain phase of my life. I'm post kids, uh, getting to be post-menopause. And I think that, you know, because of that, I definitely am thinking about the subject more. And I think even for younger women, I mean, this is such an important topic, thinking about how our nutrition needs change as we get older. So, um, because if you're lucky, you're going to get older. And it's funny because we were talking, I don't want to talk too much about this yet, because I think Val's going to have some interesting things to add to this. But um, we were talking about how, like, getting older is sort of taboo in our society. And like, you know, it's a bad thing somehow to get older. It's just the weirdest thing. It's so stupid. (laughs) It's like, you know, I have friends who aren't going to get older, you know, who died young. And it's like, I feel blessed and so happy and excited to be able to get older. And, you know, there are things about it that are like, really, like, this is really happening. Like, I'm not Mm -hmm. too crazy about the depth of the wrinkle in my forehead. But I'm also (laughs) like... (laughs) Are you measuring that? Like, what are you... I am. I have like a little ruler, a tiny ruler. that I (laughs) No, but Seriously, I mean, there, there, there are a few things that I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy about that. But on the whole, like, I like the fact that I'm getting older. I feel really great in my body and my skin and my life and the choices I'm making. I feel more confident. All the things that you think should happen as you get older and experience life more, I'm feeling those things, and those are good things. Absolutely. You know, Everett asked me this question earlier in the week. He was like, if you could go back to any time in your life, what time would you go back to? And so I'm thinking about it and I was like, I, I wouldn't go back to any of it. No. Like where I am right now, I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm more comfortable than I've ever been. I would not want to go back. Like maybe I would love to have the butt that I had at 25, <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't want to go back to, to that time at all. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have the brain of my 25 year old. No. <laughs> Oh, that girl was dumb. Yeah, and don't talk about me. No, no, I was dumb too. Yeah, that that twenty five year old Sherry was not did not make very good decisions. No, but those decisions got me to where I am today, and right. I would not give anything for the lessons that I learned. Yeah, at twenty, twenty one, twenty five, thirty two. Yeah, like. I wouldn't give anything for them. And I'm I'm happy to have had those experiences, but I'm happy where I am right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are definitely benefits to getting older. Oh, did you hear that? So listen, ladies who are listening and those two gentlemen, um, you may hear some background noise. We have three now. What are you talking about? <laughs> we, love our, we love our guy friends. Um, but we have the door open again. And if you listen to the last, um, to our episode with Brooke um, about love your neighbor, you might have heard some, some uh, beautiful sounds of birds in the background. And you might hear that again today because we've got the door open um, because it's just so fabulous here it's in the beautiful. ATL. Yeah, I'm loving springtime and we're just on the cusp of summer but it's not super hot this week. So we're enjoying that with the door open. All right. So without further ado, I want to introduce our, um, our guest today because she is going to have so much wisdom to drop on us and I can't wait. Um, our guest today is Val Schoenberg. She's the owner and founder of Enlighten You Nutrition Consulting and is located in Dunwoody. Did you drive all the way from Dunwoody today? Uh, well, I drove from my house because it's a Saturday. Is it so Dunwoody? I live more like on the Vining Smyrna. Okay, good. Oh, okay, thank God for that, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I also have an office in Sandy Springs. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So she's a registered and licensed dietitian, just like me, but she is a board certified as a specialist in sports dietetics and a certified menopause practitioner with the North American Menopause Society, which I didn't even know was a thing until I saw that in your bio. Val has over a decade of experience treating all types of eating disorders while also specializing in sports nutrition, menopause, and women's health. Val's greatest joy and passion has been her four kids, praise the Lord for kids, <laughs> and is grateful that they've grown up enjoying all types of food and cooking while having a healthy relationship with their body. Her other passion is to help women, especially those in midlife and beyond, women of a certain age, a certain age. <laughs> live a life where they feel free to embrace their best unique self and confidently dismiss cultural messages of beauty and success. 
So thanks for being with us, Val. Thank Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this with both of you. I'm excited too. And so I saw Val speak at the Georgia Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Conference in March. And um, I just loved your presentation. It resonated so much with me as a woman who's in that age group. And also just because I feel sometimes I get so frustrated. Dee knows this. um, And anybody who knows me well knows that I get so frustrated with the messaging that's out there for women women around nutrition and our bodies and health and what is health and what's healthy and what's beautiful. And I I get so frustrated with somebody else trying to define that based on really narrow criteria that are just bullshit. I was about to say, where did the criteria come from? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Who said said that this was the way it was supposed to be? Exactly. This is the way I'm supposed to look. Right. Who gets to decide that? So, you're the expert. Me. I get to Aww. decide. <laughs> so you, you are an expert, and I'm so excited that you're here. And can you tell us how you got to working in this certain area? Yeah. it's It really kind of stems from my background of working in eating disorders. I specialized in working with compulsive overeaters and binge eaters. And as it turned out, a number of those folks happened to be between the ages of 40 and 60. And what we would find is as they would stabilize their eating problems, they're compulsive overeating, uh, so they're not binging anymore, grazing all evening. We, They were frustrated because they weren't losing weight. Or at the same time, they were noticing this, you know, belly fat. And literally, people will lift up their shirt and say, look at this. This is so <laughs> distressing. And I am one of these dietitians who's very evidence-based. I want to give really practical and good strategies to help people with their goals and their problems. Well, about the same time, I was going through some of these really weird changes. And so I wanted to be able to give folks a good referral or resource. And so I went to where we all go, Google University, (laughs) and would get some, you know, take this supplement, do this diet, um, take this hormone or whatever. It was very confusing. And my question was, why? Well, why would we take black cohosh? Why would we do that? How does that actually help? What is it changing physiologically? And so my whys became a little bit like when you start pulling on a string of a sweater and Mm. it just starts to unravel. And so that's really what brought me into recognizing what you just said, Sherry, which there are so many poor messages out there that are misguiding women and giving that false hope that you can reset your hormones or that you should battle aging and that we can fight aging. And, um, you know, I I just really wanted to help women feel good in their bodies and that this is a time in our life where we want to nourish our bodies for a lot of reasons. I know we're going to talk about today, but it's still okay to find pleasure with eating and enjoy life too. And women just have so much distress over this and they don't deserve to feel that upset about it. So that's kind of what brought me into this circle. And were you working in eating disorders? So you were working in eating disorders before you started working with women in menopause? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was working in eating disorders. And then when I left the treatment program that I was working with in Minnesota, I started my own private practice. And I also was very passionate about working with, um, anyone, but especially women in sports. So a lot of the aesthetic sports. And so I started my private practice more around the prevention side. So helping people who... sports, what is that? So like dance, figure skating, gymnastics, um, those sports where um, the the size of your body might affect um, your performance, Mm -hmm. whether that's true or not. You know, there's kind of some of those demands on being a certain size, but we see that in all, you know, for runners, volleyball players, I mean, a number of folks will, will think that. So I want people to, or I, I'm at private practice. My, my goal with those two populations was actually preventing pathological eating problems because they're so vulnerable, whether it's their environment or their personality traits like perfectionism, strong work ethic, those kinds of things can really make someone susceptible to eating disorders. And I knew for myself and actually, you know, even when my daughter who was a dancer for more than 18 years, you know, you can actually eat a wide variety of food. You do not have to punish yourself with food and still perform really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the same for midlife women, you know, just really, we do not have to be starving ourselves or doing these crazy things 
to be healthy, um, which for many people, you know, health is really AKA I want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what you just said there is like, you know, we don't have to be starving ourselves to be healthy. If you're starving yourself, you're not healthy. Exactly. But that's not the message <laughs> no, people hear. No, it's, it's not. Okay. There's a there's a permission to take out food groups, to yeah. eliminate food groups. And unfortunately for midlife women, what they're not seeing and often hearing is whoa, you're actually increasing your risk of problems. Right. I mean, especially for the perimenopausal years, which like you were saying, for the 30 and 40 something year olds who are, you know, hearing messages about, you know, menopause equals weight gain, uh, really that cycle of dieting is setting individuals up for potentially nutrient deficiencies, some of the side effects of dieting and diet cycling, which can contribute to more weight gain and, and other, you know, health problems that aren't worth it. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, and you may have, you may know a little bit more about this than I do, but I know that of course women have a higher risk of heart disease, right? Mm -hmm. And we never, we don't think about that. I think a lot of people think of men when they think of heart disease, exactly. but it's the number one killer for women. Mm -hmm. And as we get older, especially once we get in and through menopause, our risk increases. Mm -hmm. And I saw something the other day that said that yo-yo dieting is actually tied to heart disease too. So if we're doing, if we're yo-yo dieting and we're in menopause, then we have an in, even more even higher risk for heart disease. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, I have a list of all of what I call harmful consequences of the diet cycling. And this is also a new message. You know, really in the past decade is where we've really got some good research that says, oh, wait a second. All the things that we were suggesting in terms of weight management are backfiring and actually increasing you know, not only the risk of heart disease, but even breast cancer, one particular study showed. And more importantly, even above all that is women's distress mentally. Mm. So, uh, you know, just that, that frustration of, I can't lose the, you know, my old tricks don't work anymore. And, and just that desperation of, well, the commercial said I can lose 30 pounds in a month. I should be able to lose 30 pounds in a month. And really that is what, contributes to even more stress and anxiety. And we know how that in and of itself contributes to some, you know, diseases of aging that really we're, we're kind of at a point in life where we need to pay attention to living long and being around for our grandchildren and some of those bigger goals than looking a certain way. Right. It's easier said than done, but that's and enjoying your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's so sad when, and I sit with so many women who, um, you know, they come to me because they want to lose weight or feel better about what in their body. And half of the time we end up I end up learning some of the other stuff that's happening with their life. So there is this biological change that happens with midlife and menopause. Tell us about that. Okay. So, you know, as um, our body doesn't have any more follicles to, you know, uh, the ovaries stop producing estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, the primary uh, steroid hormones in the body. And, it's meant to be that way if you really think about it. I mean, menopause is really a process. It's mm -hmm. not a disease, which nope. sometimes we pathologize this thing that is a hallmark in a woman's life, but it's really the end of her reproductive years. And so as we have less estrogen or as estrogen is decreasing and declining, then um, estrogen is a really important hormone in a woman's body with receptors from head to toe that affect all kinds of different body functions. So as that estrogen declines, we're going to experience that, whether that manifests itself in, um, you know, a change in appetite. You might feel hungrier. You might feel you know, more of a drive to eat. Um, certainly it has results in some sleep disturbances. Some people will talk about this brain fog, this menopause fog, which can kind of be really frustrating mm. to deal with, uh, as well as, um, you know, one of the key hallmarks is hot flashes, mm -hmm. which can be embarrassing and really frustrating. And then of course the weight gain. Uh, so menopause is really a natural thing, but we end up with a lot of 
uh, experiences or symptoms because of this change. And one of the things I like to tell people when they are so frustrated that this is happening and why is this happening? Our grandparents didn't go through this or whatever those things are, <laughs> is if you think about it, what? Um, what? imagine those days <laughs> when uh, you went through puberty you might be able to remember some of that. And when I tell groups this, like, think back, you know, what can you remember about that change? You know, maybe you had acne. I mean, a lot of things happened mood wise, mm-hmm. a lot of different symptoms. And I don't know about other people, but boy, I remember fifth grade and sixth grade getting the movies and we didn't have video. It was the real to real movies. We had <laughs> Where they separated the boys and yes, the girls. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we got the talks, you know, here's what's going to happen. Here's why this is happening. And so as frustrating as those symptoms were, it was meant to be. That mm-hmm. was what we were to experience. It wasn't anything we needed to treat or pathologize. It was just what happened. The difference is menopause is really the same thing. Mm -hmm. This is a part of a woman's life for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. God intended that we would not produce children anymore and go through that reproductive change. Um, it's, It's not explained. People aren't given the heads up. Instead, we are told you should fight aging. You need to remain young. We can battle aging. Um, Take this, do that, you know, do it naturally too. So all of those different messages. And I think that's, that's can be really confusing and frustrating. But when I give people that, you know, think back to what puberty was like, sometimes there's a a sense of calm. Uh Like, oh, okay, I'm okay. This is familiar. My body's not out of control because it can feel out of control. At a time in a woman's life when life is out of control. <laughs> and I, I want I, to experience I that firsthand. If, you know, if as a teenager, when I started to go through puberty, I probably did feel out of control. Like, why do I want to scream right now? And now why do I want to cry? But I didn't have uh, the ability to kind of contextualize that. Sure. But as an adult woman, I'm like, okay, why well, do I want to scream? And now why do I want to cry? But I'm like, oh God, something must be wrong uh-huh. instead of... I have language mm-hmm. now that I yeah. didn't have when I was younger. Right. And at the same time, what if someone told you, oh, that's really normal that you want to scream and then you mm-hmm. want to cry. And what if you could be in a group of girlfriends who we could support each other mm-hmm. with that? And we have older women that have gone through this who say, oh yeah, you'll get through it. I mean, just yeah. like puberty was a blink. If you talk to women in there that are, you know, 10, 20 years post-menopause, they're like, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. Part of it is Not like that big of a deal, and now you can have sex without worrying about having a baby. <laughs> and you never have to wonder if your period's going to sneak up on you. Yeah. No more periods. Never. <laughs> yes. yes, you can wear those white jeans and any and not time wear. of the month, <laughs> anytime, whenever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that it really comes to there. There are some reasons why I think our generation is talking about this, thinking about this, in more of a like a catastrophic way than it has in previous generations. But at the same time, we don't need to be um, necessarily having to fix it. This Mm -hmm. isn't something we have to fix. It's It's helpful to understand. One example is the brain fog. So there are cognitive changes that happen as estrogen declines and the way estrogen interacts with just the frontal lobe of our brain. And when I learned that, I was at a North American Menopause Society conference and they were talking about these cognitive structural changes that happen with neurobiology and the brain chemistry. And it was super helpful for me to hear that because there is kind of a uh, frustration over, I can't see half the time. That drives me crazy. <laughs> but then I can't remember. My arms like got I shorter for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, the memory piece. Yes. It's like, I can't remember things or I'm forgetting things. And if it's not on a list and I used to be sharper than that. So this dulling kind of effect, I don't have this background, but I know for some of my clients, they have a history where their parent went through um, some type of a dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's. And so as they're experiencing that, that is really scary. Yeah. Oh, and I've had a panic attack. My mother died from early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. And I have had a full on panic attack when I could not remember something. And I'm like, okay, when did the symptoms mm-hmm. start with my mom? And I've had to like really dial that in because it would drive me crazy. Yeah. And so when I listened to this researcher talk about 
number of different, I mean, there's a lot of psychological research that's being done in that area and recognize like there's a difference between pathological dementia and Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and this brain fog that's mm -hmm. happening. And when I even heard that there was kind of the sense of, okay, okay, okay this can be really normal. <laughs> yeah. And then I can laugh at it a little bit more and know that it's going to be okay. And probably it's more related to the fluctuations than even just the decline of the estrogen. And so that was really interesting. And I think that can be helpful for women to, to get that information and feel not so freaked out by some mm. of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. So as we think about like all of these physiological changes that are happening mm -hmm. because of the hormone changes in our body, how does that change our nutrition needs? Like how do our nutrition needs change perimenopause and then postmenopause? That's a great question. So as perimenopause, that's that time when, um, you know, hormones are fluctuating. So in, women will, you know, notice that their periods are maybe increasing, maybe increased bleeding. Sorry, or unpredictable. That, they're unpredictable. So you might have a period every couple of weeks and it might be, you know, more bleeding. I mean, certainly you want to uh, talk to your gynecologist and have that checked out. But as that happens in those perimenopausal years, you might be struggling with an iron deficiency because we're lo losing more of our, our iron from that. And so that's one thing to kind of check out as a woman. And the other thing about the perimenopausal year is to recognize let's prevent weight gain. Let, this is a great time to be having healthy behaviors in place, eating those nutrient dense foods, um, make sure that you have a regular exercise routine. Then as a woman has their, you know, final menstrual period and goes into the postmenopausal years. We don't have that estrogen on board as readily from the ovaries. Um, I mean, estrogen can be produced in other parts of the body. It's a different form and different does different things with body functions. But nevertheless, as that changes, one of the the key things is is the the interaction of estrogen on bone health. Mm -hmm. So estrogen has a really important role in terms of bone mineralization. And so if we don't have that estrogen and we're naturally decreasing our bone, even from the age of 30 on, but as that happens through oh, wow. postmenopause, it becomes really a concern. If you don't, if you don't have enough vitamin D, uh, if you're calcium, you don't have good sources of calcium and of course, exercise resistance, strength type work is important for um, the, as the muscles are strong, they pull on the bones, they keep the bones strong. So exercise is just as important as some of those nutrients that we need to pay attention to, um, as well as protein, making sure that we have adequate protein, because that's important for both our bone and muscle health. Um, another effect of uh, postmenopause is on our heart health. So cardiovascular diseases that include heart attacks and strokes. And so what can we do about that? Well, first, you know, definitely paying attention to cholesterol, which you know, we're debating how do we really treat cholesterol, but certainly a high fiber, a good soluble whole grain type of diet, we know yeah. has some good efficacy. Or even instead of focusing on one particular nutrient, a lot of people focus on a single nutrient. Just make sure you have your vitamin D. Mm -mm. Yes, that's important, but it really is a dietary pattern. Mm -hmm. So we know we have good science that shows that a Mediterranean style of eating, which is high in fruits and vegetables, and whole lean, grains, whole grains, you know, good sources of fatty fish, like mm -hmm. omega-3 mm -hmm. fats, nuts, Beans, seeds. Nuts. Yeah. yeah. So it, it feels too simple though. That's not super sexy, <laughs> but guess what? That has the best science to yes. back it up. And I talk so, about that diet a lot on the show. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of I, the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, but I there's agree. something about us that says if it's if it's not difficult, it's not gonna be effective. I know. Isn't that crazy? That is like crazy. what is wrong with us? <laughs> Why do we wanna abuse ourselves? I, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't know if, if it's just that it's not difficult. Because frankly, I have found, and Sherry, maybe you have too, it's more difficult to eat well at home consistently for many of our people in today's busy culture than to take out a whole food group. <laughs> like just tell me not it to does eat require, It does require more mm. thinking. That's you for know, sure. Because really, if you don't have a process in place where you plan your meals every week, you get to the grocery store, you get good food in your house, you take time to get that crock pot ready, you cut up the fruits and vegetables. Those are the behaviors I hear more frequently. Like I don't have time for that. 
And thankfully, we've you know got some other tools that are out mm-hmm. there like HelloFresh and some of these meal delivery, um, meal delivery yeah. kits, and you know even the grocery stores are, are making you know here's here's just buy this, cook it up. So there are some things that where we're recognizing that, but I think nutritionists across the board would agree one of the primary behavior changes that is helpful is cooking at home, focusing on nutrient dense foods. And so it's not that sugar is bad or that we need to take out processed food. It's like, let's emphasize what we need to eat more of. Yes. And as we focus on that and then recognize, well, the reason I don't eat, you know, so many vegetables is I'm not really craving those. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. <laughs> and, um, and so those, it's really the behavior focus that I think is important. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that the whole focus on a whole food diet and dietary patterns to me is so important when yeah. it comes to food and nutrition, not making it overly complicated. And that said, are there are there supplements you do recommend for women in this time in their life, or is that very specifically individualized? Sure. Well, first, yes, it's very individualized. Um, I personally practice and recommend a food-first approach to eating uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But with that said, if I have someone who has um, iron deficiency anemia, I mean, one of the best ways to restore that iron deficiency is through an iron supplement. Or if we know that someone's blood levels of vitamin D are low, you know, certainly a vitamin D supplement can be very helpful. Same with if you're not able to get good sources of calcium from your food, you can kind of make up that difference with a calcium supplement, but definitely something that you want to talk to your general physician about as well as a dietitian. Uh, Omega-3 fats are another, you know, potential. If you don't like salmon and tuna and walnuts and good sources of omega-3 fats, you know, that might be, have some efficacy. And the other one that I often think about are probiotics. And I I don't not over-prescribe or recommend probiotics, but I have had women in their postmenopausal years who their incidence of irritable bowel syndrome has increased dramatically and not to a point where it's just a you know, a discomfort or, you know, annoying, but really disabling, like they mm-hmm. can't leave their house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, good efficacy around prescribing a probiotic that's specific to what their symptoms are can really be helpful. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, some women, for example, for treating hot flashes will turn to some of the herbal remedies that have been, that are out there, like black cohosh is one example. And, and so that might be something to try. Unfortunately, our research doesn't really back up efficacy. It doesn't seem to really have a positive effect when compared to like a placebo in a mm-hmm. well-designed trial. Um, and things like black cohosh, which are an herbal remedy, are not very well-regulated. Yeah. And so you have to make sure you're getting a good quality product that hasn't been adulterated in any way. And that's another one where it can have contraindications with other medications or supplements that you're taking, or there is an increased incidence um, or risk, I should say, of liver disease. Sure. Wow. You know, I, so when women just kind of um, are like, oh, it's natural and therefore it may, must be safe, we really need to do a better job of saying, well, let's make sure this is okay. Let's make mm-hmm. sure you understand the the benefits potentially, mm-hmm. but also, you know, some of the side effects or risk factors that are yeah. involved in that. And as a woman knows some of those things and can make an informed decision about her health, I think you can feel better and be a little bit more um, aware of, you know, this isn't really working. I've been taking this for six weeks. My hot flashes are still 10 a day and mm-hmm. it's driving me nuts. I'm going to try something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that whole um, becoming a critical consumer of information mm-hmm. is so essential, and we preach that on the show a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think when it comes to supplements, you know, a lot of people think natural equals safe. Yeah. And arsenic is natural, and it's not always safe, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? I mean, is, is it yeah. ever safe? <laughs> well, in tiny amounts, like the dose makes the poison. Okay. In tiny amounts, exposure is no big deal. But if you're exposed to much more than that, then it can be a problem, right? So the same thing is true for supplements. Problem, you'll be dead. It'll be a problem. <laughs> it can make you really sick or, or kill you dead. Um, but but I think that you know a lot. You mentioned liver disease, and there there have been recorded events. You know, every year there are recorded events for people having significant liver damage as the result of taking dietary supplements that are mm-hmm. unregulated. And our our supplement industry in the United States 
is very poorly regulated. And anyone who would say differently is not giving you the full picture. Mm -hmm. They're probably trying to sell you something. (laughs) I thought that you could like look at the bottle and those that are regulated. There's a company, there's a, there's a, there's a certification called USP, which stands for United States Pharmacopeia. And it's a third party testing. It's a company that, that, uh, supplement, companies can pay to come in and test for, um, for that, to ensure that what's on the label is really what's in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And yes, those are the ones that you want to choose most often. Absolutely. When it comes to vitamins and mineral supplements, it's pretty easy to find companies that use USP. But when it comes to supplements, herbal supplements in particular, it's a lot harder to find companies that are, that are using USP and herbs, at least in my experience. Or they could put it on their label and it's not accurate. Oh. And so then there's a whole nother group of organizations like third-party organizations that does testing mm. on the product. So that's my go-to. So when someone will say, hey, what do you think about this supplement? I'll look it up under a couple different groups that I am members of. Do you look? Do you use Consumer Lab? I'll use Consumer Lab. That's my, I like them a lot I do in too. terms of they, they do a really nice review and it's an unbiased, hey, we tested all these products. Um, you know, it, it's got a lot of mercury in it, for example, or it's not what it is on the label. Mm -hmm. You know, there is like 75 more milligrams of caffeine. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. The woman's already not sleeping well at night and she's taking that in the afternoon and wondering why her sleep is disrupted. So some of those kinds of things aren't on the label and, um, unless, and that's the problem is that the regulation, there's too many supplements out there. So we are, I mean, the FDA is calling or the, you know, they are calling out some of these, um, programs. Like for example, I can't even believe where over by where I live, there's still a, a store that advertises HCG mm. and the FDA has said, this is illegal. Like you are not supposed to use you, um, these supplements, the H- What's CG HCG supplements. Human core, uh, human chorea, chorionic, yeah. basically it's a, um, it's a, a hormone, growth hormone, a growth it's a growth hormone, hormone. that's uh, produced during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And the theory is that if you take these drops, that it will control your appetite so you can lose weight. The funny thing about this is, is that if you take those drops, guess what? You're also prescribed a 500 to 800 calorie diet. <laughs> I mean, you're not eating, so you're going <laughs> to Yeah, so you see the common sense in that. Yeah. And um, but, but people lose weight really quickly, and then they attribute it to the HCG that they paid a lot of money for instead of the fact that they did this really restrictive eating. Mm. So there's things like that out there that consumers don't know. I mean, if you're yeah. still putting that on your billboard and selling it, clearly it must be safe. And a lot of these things really have even been told by, you know, in, in news outlets that it's not uh, really something we should be doing. So consumer lab, is that something that's available to just registered dietitians? Can anyone, anyone can be, but you have to pay a fee Mm -hmm. to be a, um, you know, to be a member. And so a lot of consumers don't necessarily want to pay an annual fee to be a member and check out their supplements. And that's why you can certainly check with your physician or check with a registered dietitian. Most of us do have access to that information and can give you that, that report in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, here's, I mean, for some people that like black cohosh coming back to that one as an example, that might be a good thing to try. If you are extremely distressed, you've tried everything else and it doesn't seem to be a problem. It might be worth it to, you know, give it that trial of six weeks. If you're feeling better, that could be helpful, but also make sure you're communicating that with your physician, because if you are on some medication, St. John's word is another mm-hmm. um, herbal supplement that has some good efficacy, but it has some really important contraindications with medications that this Mm -hmm. population might be taking as well Mm. for cholesterol or some of those kinds of things. So it's just having the conversation and, and asking questions. That's a great point. The sort of the, um, potential for, for cross reactions with medications. I think that's something that people don't think about. Again, going back to the idea that natural is safe, you know, there are a lot of these supplements that interact with medications and lifestyle medications in particular. So if you're somebody who has diabetes or who Mm -hmm. has, um, who has high blood pressure and takes daily medication, you have to discuss these supplements. (laughs) Yeah. We have a lot of women who are struggling with 
mood yes. and might be prescribed an antidepressant. Don't think anything of it. Oh, yeah. But that's a primary one that has some interactions. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wellbutrin, all of those. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a there, all of that is important. And um, yeah, so don't don't self-medicate yourself, I think is what I what I think <laughs> I'm hearing and what I would encourage people to think about is don't self-medicate. If you're struggling with some of these symptoms, talk to somebody about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is your physician who may not know anything about nutrition or a dietitian who knows a lot about nutrition and can probably help you at least through the food piece and some of the more natural approaches to managing. So speaking of that, I wanted to ask you about soy. Yeah. What do you think about soy? What are your recommendations when women ask? Because it's definitely something that I hear a lot about and I think there's still a lot of confusion. Yes, that's a great question. And and kind of the, the last part of that is natural. Yeah. It is natural and it is safe mm-hmm. is really the bottom line. Um, my master's research was in soy and that was back in the early 90s. And so we've come a long way since then because ba- that was back in the day when we were all excited about soy protein and everything that it could do to reduce actually the risk of or many different diseases, but as well as hot flashes. And then we had, of course, the big landmark studies that come out and say, wait, 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 you know, we need to be careful with these soy isoflavones because they could increase and do increase a woman's risk of breast cancer. It has this estrogenic effect. So it's, I mean, people heard it as if I eat soy, it's like taking estrogen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really, first of all, some of those studies have been retracted. Um, but at the same time, we've also gone back and said, wait, this is actually not true. Um, and it doesn't make sense. It does doesn't make sense. And soy as a food is actually a really, it's a complete protein. It's a great source of protein, plant protein for anyone. And especially if you're practicing a vegetarian or vegan way of eating, when I have someone who tells me they're vegan and they won't eat soy, that's always really interesting to me because it's a great source of protein. And it actually is, um, has some powerful antioxidants, so it can be helpful to the body in many different ways. But the the idea that it acts like estrogen, this is where more recently we've done a better job of understanding what's happening there. So if a woman is wanting to take soy or isoflavones to help reduce their hot flashes, for example, and you know, we don't have even really good studies that say that it helps, the reason why that we've learned is that you need a certain type of gut bacteria to be able to digest and use this these isoflavones or convert them to an active form called S-equal. And it seems that only about a third of the women, say like in North America, have this gut bacteria that can actually convert it to what would be an estrogenic type form, this mm-hmm. S-equal. Hmm. And then even then, if we think about estradiol, which is the, the dominant hormone produced by the ovaries, there's two different receptors all throughout the body that do different things in terms of up or down regulating body functions. And we don't really know if you have that S-equal um, form, how is it acting on these estrogen receptors? I mean, is it a key that unlocks the, I mean, it, it seems that it might be able to help with hot flashes, but does it cause or prevent weight gain? This is, this is when I've had young people come in and they won't eat soy foods because they think they're going to take a bunch of estrogen and get fat. And that even myth that's been around is really interesting and not based on any fact or truth at all. Hmm. So it's it's hard to overconsume, impossible from the researchers I've heard that you in can over food form in the food form exactly exactly. So all of that say to in say, the food form. What do you what do you mean? Tofu, soybeans. I'm talking about food versus supplements. Mm-hmm. Okay, so versus like a soy protein shake. No, yeah. that would still be a food form. Okay. Um, what what Sherry is referring to is there's a lot of supplements. You can buy isoflavones in a pill form. You know, mm. some of the um, supplements that are out there, especially for treating menopause, if you read the label, it will say black cohosh and isoflavones are kind of the primary, or even red clover. I mean, are two primary or three primary uh, ingredients that they'll be using to make the claims that they're going to reduce hot flashes, improve your mood, improve sleep, all these different things that they'll make uh comments on in terms of the labeling. But the whole food form would definitely be, we call them first and second generation soy foods. So you can have tofu, tempeh, edamame, soy milk, um, all of those. I mean, and soy protein powder, for example, is really just 
the the soy that's broken down into a powder, no different than a whey protein powder is the whey from milk that's basically already processed into, you know, the individual amino acids, if you will. Gotcha. So um, that's what I, I think you mean in sure. terms of the whole foods versus supplements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, whether it's fish sup- fish oil supplements or soy or, um, or anything else we're trying to get more of, vitamin D, things like that, I think that, you know, when we eat food, you know, we get a, we get a whole host of other nutrients Mm -hmm. that support those particular constituents of the food that we're eating. You know, when we get a whole package of, of food, of nutrients that are in food, they, they interact differently in our bodies than when we're taking very concentrated amounts of specific nutrients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why we're whole food for food first dietitians. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thankfully more researchers are coming out and showing that in their data. Right. Um, of course we're the translators too. I would say, you know, there's the research and it sits in some ivory tower somewhere. And our job is to take that information and translate it into practical, realistic things that make sense for consumers. Mm -hmm. And, and so for so long, so much of the research is a single nutrient kind of focus. I recently wrote an article about spices and how spices might be helpful in reducing inflammation. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, because if you do go do your Google University search, it seems like, whoa, just take some turmeric <laughs> and just take some cinnamon and you'll solve all these problems. Well, when I dove into the raw research on that, there's really not good research on that. So I put it all together. Really? There's not much. There's not and much. it's not quality it's research. It's not quality research. But to the defense of the research, they're, again, they're, they're isolating, say, just cinnamon. Like they want to look at, does cinnamon cause this particular effect? And when it's compared to a placebo, they can never really show for sure, right? Mm. Well, when you think about incorporating these nutrients into a whole diet, so these, these supplements or these um, spices, rather, mm-hmm. if you think about the diets, these spices are oftentimes coupled with. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I came to in my conclusion is when you think about some of these spices and in, uh, say, an Indian Indian cuisine type of cooking where many of these have their beginnings in terms of their efficacy, they are eating a lot of whole foods, vegetables, fruits, whole grains. Lots of beans and legumes. Yep, lean meat. And so it probably is more of the constituents together working Mm -hmm. to provide a, a benefit. Right. And that takes us back to dietary patterns. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's not about isolating one thing. It's about all the things. Okay. So we're getting close to the finish of our time, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about weight. Yes. Because we haven't really talked about that. And I think you've, you've, you've mentioned it a little bit. And I know that, um, for many women at this time in their life, they do experience weight gain. Mm -hmm. And is that, I guess the question is, is that inevitable? How do women either in advance of menopause, and you talked a little bit about this, but then also going through menopause and then in that latter part after menopause, what um, what should we expect about weight? Sure. Well, what the research would show us is that on average women gain about five pounds and they'll see it more in terms of a redistribution of the body fat, more towards the abdomen. So if you had an individual who was genetically a pear shape where they were storing more of their fat historically in their lower extremities, they might start to notice that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, they might even say the, the scale isn't changing, but I'm noticing I've you know got this muffin top now and that's super <laughs> uncomfortable. And how can I fix that? Do I just go need to go do a bunch of ab work? And and that is related to the decline in estrogen. There's not really a good explanation on why that is. It just happens to be so. So if you had an individual who was genetically more of a pear shape or apple shape, and they're already storing their fat in their abdomen, then that can feel more concerning because now they're storing more fat. When we store fat in our abdomen, it tends to be this type of highly metabolic fat called visceral fat. So that's where physicians and doctors in the medical community get concerned and will say you need to lose weight to reduce your risk of heart disease. And so then you need to get this waist size down. Yeah, yeah. You need to change (laughs) this. And so can we, how do we do that? One of my recommendations is is to focus on preventing weight gain in the first place. Um, 
I think a lot of individuals, because we're having like even the conversation we're having, we're talking about it from just the hormone perspective. We're only seeing it through that lens. When you go to a 50,000 foot level and you look at what's really causing weight gain, and when you even look at science, it's not just really the hormones. It really is a lifestyle change. You know, there's this thing that happens that's a natural part of aging called sarcopenia, which is the Mm -hmm. natural loss of lean tissue starts again in your thirties, but ramps up as you go through menopause. And so a woman's calorie needs can decrease by almost 25% as they're going through this change. And on top of it, At a time when life is changing, crazy things are happening, parents are aging, kids are getting married, moving from Minnesota to Georgia, <laughs> all these stressful things. And guess what? We probably may be, might be eating more or cooking less at home when it's just you and your husband or you yourself. And so those behavioral changes potentially increase our intake at a time when our intake is actually should be a little bit lower. And the final piece, I always call this a perfect storm. The final part to this is if someone's been diet cycling for years and years, then the body has all of this kind of like metabolic adaptations. It's like the body says, no way, we're not losing weight anymore. You've been through too many famines enough. I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to protect you. So that's why it can feel like my old tricks don't work anymore. I can't lose weight. There's so many factors to look at other than just estrogen and that we have to fix that one thing. Um, My biggest recommendations are everything we've talked about, you know, focusing on the dietary patterns, making sure you're making behavior changes that do include cooking more at home, probably eating out less, watching your alcohol intake, as well as increasing activity. Uh, So making sure that you're doing the strength work, flexibility work, some good cardio work. And guess what? All of these things which sound, oh, I should be able to do that, come at a time when you're not sleeping in the middle of the night, you're having hot flashes, and so there is a paradox of, Mm -hmm. yes, we need to make these important changes, but it's really hard sometimes. And so getting that support, having an accountability partner can help keep people on track too. Mm -hmm. I love that. All practical advice that may not be super sexy, but is absolutely effective. Yeah. And I mean, it's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So me too. I, I do walk the walk and talk the talk as they would say in terms of, I get it. I know yeah. what it feels like. I know yeah. all of this. And at the same time, I, I used to be an avid, I mean, I still am an avid exerciser, but it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. Happened, like, <laughs> oh, it just isn't the get up and go. It's just yeah. more difficult. I have to plan it. I have to make it a priority and yeah. know that it's important and that the payoff isn't to change a number on a piece of tin, right. but to keep me healthy so I can run around and chase my grandchildren the way I watched my parents chase my grandchildren. Yes. Around. That's, you have to have a non-scale goal yes. around this health. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I literally last night, my husband, we've started going in the spring in the warmer weather. We always go for a walk in the evening, almost every night after dinner. And so we were, we were walking around and I just said to my husband, like, I'm finding that the scale is a little, I've creeped up a little bit on the scale and I'm having a little bit of a harder time getting it down. Like typically I could just do this or this and it just came right down. But I said, I've come to the realization that I either have to eat less or exercise more. And he laughed at me and I was like, but there there also doesn't there come a time where you can't really eat less. Oh yeah, sure. Yes. And And we have to be careful. We do have to be careful because we certainly don't want to be eating less to the level of where we're going to have nutrient deficiencies Mm, mm. when we're trying to keep our bones healthy and we want to make sure we're keeping our heart healthy and our muscles healthy. And so the other part to that is some women who maybe have all never had to worry about it, lower BMI, I mean, not unhealthy, not an eating disorder or anything like that, but they seem to be the most distressed over weight changes because whoa, like, what is this happening to me? I've always had this identity or whatever might be going into it. And what research would show too, is there's a chance that a part of that weight gain can actually be cardioprotective. And we have some studies that show the risk of mortality decreases 
when women um, kind of gain some of this weight. I know that doesn't help people feel better, but I've watched it firsthand recently as my parents have always been like a normal, healthy body size. They're very active. They eat really well. And sadly, but good thing, um, we've gone through a few bouts of cancer with Mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. My mom most recently had um, just survived through stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. And if anyone has ever dealt with that, that chemo is wicked. And she lost weight so quickly because of that. And she didn't have a lot of weight to lose. And of course, the dietitian steps in. (laughs) Like, no, you cannot lose any more weight because here's the deal. What women or people in their older years die from is often infection that is secondary to not being able to eat because they have no appetite or they get thrush. And the malnutrition is actually what can contribute to the death versus the cancer itself. And so watching that firsthand, that has been another motivator for me in terms of, you know, struggling through the, okay, so yeah, it's five pounds. I got to go buy a different size or some of those kinds of things, recognizing we got a lot of life ahead of us. Yes. And, yes. and so, you know, we don't just need to throw caution to the wind and not worry about it. And at the same time, recognizing there, there can be a plan in that, in terms of helping us be healthy. That is one of the things I think that's kept my parents alive is they have been healthy enough to, um, get through the treatment, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that, and I don't mean to suggest that I'm hyper-focused on it. It's just something that I noticed. I I, I think that's a really normal response and, uh, and, you know, certainly okay. And to also, how can we reframe that? You know, how can we take that thought that seems kind of normalized and turn it around to health? Yeah. And yeah, that can feel really uncomfortable and frustrating. And at the same time, I'm doing what I need to do. We're going on our walks. We're eating really well. Okay. Maybe we're eating out all the time. We're vacationing. (laughs) Maybe we need to watch that. For me, eating less means not eating ice cream every night. Exactly. So or kind of frame it the way that yeah. it would have been framed when we were in fifth grade. Yeah. You know, um, the you can expect to gain five pounds could be like you can expect for your breast to be tender and begin mm-hmm. to grow. Like yes. it's just a part yeah. of the or process. Shrink. Yeah. And, and does that does that five pounds equal? <laughs> does that five pounds mean you're not healthy? Yeah. So our yes, culture yes. has such a you know weight equals health paradigm, mm-hmm. and so we all believe that if I'm gaining weight, I'm not healthy. Mm. Um, and if I don't look, of course, then there's the whole uh, other part of it, which is the body image or the identity oh, yeah. piece. Like, who am I? Like, I'm not a mom who takes care of my kids anymore. Who am I? Who do I need to be? And so those are that mental piece kind of comes into it probably more than, you know, is that what does that five pounds really mean Mm -hmm. for an individual? And Mm -hmm. I think that's where some work can be done. Yeah. Oh, gosh, we didn't even really have time to dive into the whole, like, what do women feel? Like, what is it the what's the messaging that women are getting about what we're supposed to be like? I mean, you talked about anti-aging a bit. You know, I think it's very interesting to me. And there's some really good things that have happened recently, even, I think, you know, where women hadn't always been adequately represented in advertising, particularly among beauty brands like, like cosmetics and things like that. And I think we're seeing such a beautiful shift in so many areas and we're seeing women of all different sizes represented more effectively. And it's, we're not where we should be, but we're Mm -hmm. getting there. You know, I mean, for the first time we're starting to see mannequins of all different sizes. And you may have seen a recent article where, um, someone was very critical of Nike about having, um, larger mannequins in their stores. And, uh, for, I loved, I have loved seeing the dietetics Mm -hmm. community come out and just blast that off for the article that she wrote saying, are you suggesting that women of every size shouldn't be able to find uh, workout clothes that fit their bodies? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Yeah. But I think the same thing is starting to happen um, and isn't happening as much, but is happening more where we're seeing women of all ages represented as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, especially in cosmetics and beauty products, you know, to me, it's like the older I get, the the more beautiful I feel. Isn't Mm -hmm. that funny? Like I, I know 
not all women are going to feel that way. And I may not always feel that way. I may not feel that that way every day, but more often than not, I feel more beautiful. I feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and I want to see that. I don't want to go to buy cosmetics and see like be sold by like a 15 year old right? Or, or worse. I mean, it, to mm-hmm. me, it's like, I, I want to see women who look like me in right. the advertising. I want to see what it looks like for for a woman who looks like me to wear this product? Is it something that's going to work with my skin? Is it something that's going to look pretty Is on it going to settle in my lines or no? Exactly. That's, what I <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> that's the interesting part of all that. And there was another article that's just been kind of going around about this issue too, which is um, we have this like permission to fix things. Like we should fix our weight, but then there's also, you know, the, we can fix our lines and we can fix our lips and we can, so there's this ease of, normalizing, say, Botox, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a a woman's personal preference of how they want to age. Um, But at the same time, if we normalize, if we can't look around, every single woman has their face pulled tight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we're not going to see the person who uh, looks like us all the time. And so it is Well, that's not to say that it's not normal, but... Like natural, natural, yeah, yeah, and uh, a really good book that I think I sent you the resource, which is just when I started to feel comfortable in my own skin, it started to sag, and I so related <laughs> to that book because I'm like, oh, that is so true, like that is me, and and so now we have a way to help our skin not sag, but do we really need to do that? Yeah, like at some point, can we just stop having to fix everything? Yeah, and really. We deserve to own our accomplishments. We deserve to own our lines, uh-huh. our stretch marks, all of this stuff. Like we get to rise up. One interesting piece of information is that, you know, not all animals go through menopause. And I oh, think really? just until recently, just humans and the orca whale huh. have been talked about. And when they look at like, why is that? Well, the orca whale, for example, when they study them, they don't need to, they, need to stop reproducing so because the mom, the orca mom, stays around the pod of her whales to help these young whales learn how to find the really good salmon that they need to feed on. It's a super interesting story. And when you think about it, they're the wisest. They're the ones that everyone looks to in terms of helping them perform and, you know, grow and develop. And as women, we need to be that too. Like mm-hmm. we need to be these warriors that that we deserve to be the wise women who are like the orca whale. I just <laughs> loved it when I came across that story because I I want to to have a tribe of sorts that 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 want to just not have to fix everything about us to conform to this society. Oh, I love that. That's kind of beautiful. I love I was that. I'm sitting here thinking of myself standing in the mirror a couple of mornings ago and like pulling up the skin on my breast to like make my breast go. That's probably TMI. I'm sorry. No, it's not. But <laughs> my girlfriend. It's not. But yeah, like why do I feel? I mean, I'm a 46 year old woman. My boobs yeah. are gonna sag. Why do I feel like I need them to look like they did when I was 20? Yeah. I just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And let them know. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the show we did with Lisa uh, Sampson about Letter to My Younger Self. We have a great, you have to listen to that show. It's Mm -hmm. so good. And I'll put links to these shows I've mentioned during today's show um, on the, on the um, post that accompanies the show. But, you know, we talked about that, you know, that we are meant to, in fact, there's scripture that supports the fact that as, especially as believers, we women are supposed to be helping younger women who are coming up behind us. And I think that that is applicable, whether you're a Christian or not Mm -hmm. in every aspect of our life, right? Mm -hmm. In our communities, in our work lives, in our professions, in, in our families, we have the opportunity to share the things that we've gleaned from the years that we've lived. You know, mm-hmm. we talked to, earlier about, you know, not wanting to be 25 again. I don't want to be 25 again. That girl was stupid, you yeah. know. <laughs> but this 45-year-old woman has learned some things in 20 years mm-hmm. that I think are helpful for my 21-year-old sister. Yeah. You know, and I want to share with her those things so that when she's, you know, 30 and 40 and, you know, whatever, she feels, she, she gets some of this a little sooner than I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. 
Well, I love this. It's been so great, Val. Thank this you. is so helpful and I think timely for us, but I'm sure for our listeners as well, where whether they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s or even past that. And I know there'll be some listeners who are shaking their head going, oh yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's helpful reminders and practical solutions that I think we all need for helping be healthier regardless of our age. But all of us are going to go through menopause at some point mm-hmm. and we need to be prepared. And I think you've given us a lot to think about. And I'll include um, the books that you recommended. So thank you for sending those over. You guys will have some reading to do if you want to learn more. And how can people connect with you if they want to do that? Sure. Um, my website is enlightennewnutrition.com. So mm-hmm. hopefully you'll put the, the yeah, link for that. And uh, you can email me at val at enlightennewnutrition.com. Or uh, you can find me on Facebook and um, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, or you can uh, call me directly. Should I give my phone number? If you want to. 404. Who knows who'll have it, but. (laughs) 404-680-6032 is my um, work number. And and yeah, I am always interested in entertaining questions or uh, how I might be able to help people more. Yeah. And it's enlighten you, the letter U. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I love that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Was there anything else, Steve? Did you have any other questions or thoughts? No. You did a great job of like really breaking it down for me. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Awesome. Well, as we wrap up the show today, we have one question that we close every show with, and that is, what are you going to do to be healthier today? So for me, I've been doing uh, more cardio recently than I do typically. You know, I love to lift weights, but uh, recently got a Peloton and have just oh. been, uh, not a, I won't say obsessed with it, but <laughs> I have never been like a cycling spin type person, but I love it. I love it. I love the community around it. I love the exercising. It's great. But you know, my muscles are really missing that weightlifting. So I'm going to go and do my arm routine this afternoon. Good for you. Good for you. What about you, Val? Well, for today, um, even right after here, I'm stopping at the grocery store to load up on some fruit because we have my uh, stepson visiting and he loves to munch on fruit, you know, instead of a bag of chips. So we, we like to keep that around the house. But to that, I love also um, spinning. But for me, it's so it feels so amazing when I get outside on my bike. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to make that a priority to get outside and, and bike. Um, the Silver Comet Trail, for example, is just a lovely place to go. And I feel you know, physically and mentally, uh, energized every time I get to do that. I love that. That's awesome. I, my family's coming over today. So we're celebrating father's day early and uh, my family's coming over today, my parents and my sister, and we're, I'm cooking for them. So that's what I'm going to do to, to, um, improve my health today. Mm -hmm. Spend time with the people that I love and I love to cook as everyone knows who listens to the show or follows me anywhere. Um, (laughs) I, I love to cook. So for me, that is, it's both my, my uh, relaxation, but also a way that I, I show love and um, nourish my body, but also my spirit. So I'm really excited to have time with my family and be able to cook for them. So that's how I'm going to be healthier today. And I hope that you guys who are listening have plans for today that you're going to um, put action behind. And if um, if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com um, or you can always email me at dietitiancherry at gmail.com. We are happy to hear your thoughts and um, really want to know the things that you want to hear more about. But I think this show has been awesome. And again, I want to say thanks to Val for joining us. (laughs) And thank you, girlfriends, for listening today. If you love this show, share it with a friend. Make sure that you rate it and you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Have a great day, y'all. Bye. Bye.